Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. If you don't know, ask your parole officer. What's up, kids? You are listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. Joined, as always, the Dr. Dre to my Snoop Dogg, Chad Sowash is in the house. And we welcome Michael Woodrow, president at Aspen Tech Labs. Michael, welcome back to the show. It's been a minute. Hi, guys. How's it going? Doing well, doing well. Those listeners that don't know you or are new in the last four years, tell them about (laughs) Michael Woodrow. So, yeah, so I'm Michael Woodrow, president of Aspen Tech Labs. Uh, What Aspen Tech Labs does, we kind of power the back of uh, the internet job postings, the backbone. We move a lot of jobs from company sites directly to our about 300 customers, job boards, uh, advertising platforms, et cetera. So we collect job postings daily or more often, kind of clean them up and move them into platforms like ZipRecruiter and Dice and The Muse. And Talk about you, Mike. Talk about you. You're in Cali right now. You're usually on the slopes in Aspen. Company I mean, headquartered in Aspen. Yeah. Mike has a tough life. I'm an um, executive recruiter kind of by training. So I had an executive recruiting firm. I come from that background. So I kind of know what it takes to fill positions. I've filled hundreds of recruiting positions, senior positions, still have uh, involvement in a recruitment firm. But that's how I got into the space. And then in the early 2000s, I launched a little job board and used some older technology. And then in about 2005, relaunched it and uh, met my partner, my former partner, who's Ukrainian guy. So there's a little Ukrainian um, story to Aspen Tech Labs, or actually a pretty big Ukrainian story to Aspen Tech Labs now. But that was, uh, we launched Aspen Tech Labs back in 2007 as a job board platform, which we still have called JobMount. So we launched niche job boards for our customers. And then we got into this, uh, the scraping business, the data collection business, 
probably in about 2010. Is that because you guys needed it or you had prospective clients? Our customers were asking for it. They're like, yeah, all right, you you launch this job board for me. I need jobs. And um, (laughs) so, and and some some, uh, job boards, or we like to say a lot of job boards, don't want those paid feeds. They want real jobs or they want specific jobs. So that's that's how we got into scraping. And then, you know, now we have uh, about 25 people that we call Spider-Men and Spider-Women who, uh, <laughs> who do our scraping for us and keep track of all the data that comes in. We scrape about 130,000 companies every day right now Wow! in 120 countries. Damn, that's a lot. So that business started with a couple of customers saying, hey, can you scrape some jobs for us? And we're like, yeah. okay, we'll figure that out. And now, uh, now we collect that jobs data and- any kind of data, if you can collect it and kind of normalize it, it's valuable mm. today in 2023. And so we we operate mostly in the job space, but we do we dabble a little bit in auto and in property. A little bit more than dabble in auto, but auto and property are two of our other uh, verticals, actually in healthcare. So we collect a lot of healthcare data too. So we're really good at collecting data, going back tomorrow, looking to see if anything's changed and then collect what's changed or aggregate it and normalize it. How many job board clients are on your software platform? How many job boards are you powering right now? We have about 100 job board clients. Okay. Refresh my memory. The the origin of that was like for SEO, I remember. Like have all your jobs search friendly and indexable. Am I right about that? It's been a while. Yeah, that, that was, I used this older technology when I launched my first job board and I launched it and nobody could find the, you know, the jobs. They, they, they weren't out there. <laughs> you weren't so alone. That was a... That was a big piece of uh, of me moving over to this platform that now is JobMount, that the jobs are all very well organized and set up for Google to easily find them. Let's rehash a little bit of our last conversation. And kids, we'll have a link in the show notes on this one so you can listen to that one. But back in January of 2019, the three of us got together and we talked about uh, some things that are still being talked about today. One of those being Google for Jobs. So there, there's been a huge change and shift and will it be there and will it go away? And then here as of late, we start to see that they're beta testing paid jobs. So your thought back then was that Google is going to be a force. Google for jobs is going to be a force. The question is today, do you think it's going to be a force for good for the rest of the ecosystem? Or evil? (laughs) You know, the chat GPT thing is really you know, oh, you jumped right into that, see, didn't you? To oh see where God. that's going. But I mean, it's certainly a big competitor that we didn't even think about back in mm-hmm. 2019 about Google. But you know, a friend of mine is a senior person at Google, and he tells me that Google cares about making it easy for people to find whatever they want on Google. I mean, they obviously make a lot of money doing that, but they wake up every morning thinking about, is it a good visitor experience for someone to come and find whatever they want, a restaurant, a job, a car? whatever. And so they're still very focused on that. So jobs fits into that. And one thing that we're seeing with them recently, I'm a big, um, I don't know about advocate. I mean, I'm bullish on Google for jobs. I think it's, it's, I think it, it works really well. It's clean. If I were a company and I say this all the time, make sure your jobs are getting on Google for jobs. It's free clicks. Why pay Indeed if they're putting your jobs on Google for jobs and your jobs aren't optimized? So I mean, that's, that's something that just it's easy to do. So I think it's super important. I do think it's going to be a, a good thing for the industry. People are putting, you know, one thing that they're focused on these days is addresses. Most job postings surprisingly don't have street addresses, but Google wants to, you know, between their mapping and between everything, 
they want the job postings to be very specific because people search on things like jobs near me or X jobs near me or something. So addresses is something that is is super important and becoming more important. They're telling their most important partners. Unfortunately, we're not one of them apparently, but they're telling some of our partners that uh, you need to put street addresses on job postings. Is, is mapping coming, you think? Yeah. So I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you think someone would want to say, hey, this is where I drive my kid to school, or this is where I do whatever, what jobs are going to be near there, what jobs are going to be around. And that technology should exist. So, you know, I think it's super interesting. The paid thing, I don't really think it's a big threat to the industry or anything, you know? So I'm actually a little surprised that they're monetizing it, but uh, they're trying to monetize it. There's no question that they're more serious about it. I mean, they've been doing updates to their algorithm. We follow really closely. They've been doing updates to their out their jobs algorithm about three three to four times a year for the last two years. So they're on this. Why are you surprised they're monetizing it? I mean, Chad and I have been predicting it for about eight years now, like before the show started. <laughs> Why are you surprised by that? They are a for-profit business, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know that it'll be super easy for them to monetize it, I guess, oh. you know? <laughs> but you know, maybe, maybe it will. I, I don't know. I mean, it's like indeed in the early days, all I need is about a dozen clients to pay me a ton of money to get their jobs indexed or higher, higher in the search rankings. Right. They don't need like a million clients. They need a few job boards. Like they already have LinkedIn and ZipRecruiter, right? I mean, they'll pay them a few million dollars a month, I would assume, to have their jobs. Yeah, I just don't know if that's going to move. You know, it's got to be a big chunk of money to move the needle for Google, you know? And so you're talking about, you know, is there is there a $5 billion opportunity for them? I don't know. Maybe. Well, which is why they got out of the APIs, what the search APIs and Google Hire. I mean, they saw that the trajectory for, you know, Google Cloud and other other aspects of business were just bigger, much bigger opportunities. So are you surprised they shut down those other two platforms and they kept this one going? I mean, why do that? Why not just go ahead and keep search the way it is. Yeah, but they can't make that kind of money if they ejected out you don't of I think this. the math nerds at Google believe that they can't make that kind of money. There are enough agencies, enterprise businesses, and job boards. Did you think they thought about that when they built an applicant tracking well, yeah, system? They, that was spaghetti at the wall. Clearly, Google for Jobs is a real business, they think, which is why they've launched a pay-per-click component to it. I think it's beyond the testing and see what happens phase. Yeah, and I think also if they if they can be successful, then maybe there's something they can do in autos or there's something they can do in some other other verticals. I really thought that the Google for Jobs thing w- was really a um, keep using Google, come to Google for everything, jobs too. That's what that I thought sense. they were going with it. And that, yeah. did, that did make a lot of sense. But maybe, maybe they're trying to see if there's a, a big enough revenue opportunity. And then if there is, some of these other verticals, like I'm talking about autos, that'd be huge too. Does it just turn into more arbitrage though? I mean, as we're starting to cycle jobs through, you know, job board A to ZipRecruiter to Google for jobs, does it just become a, a huge arbitrage game at this point? You know, um, I've always been really negative on the ARB game because the candidate experience is just Sucks. so bad. Oh, yeah. Right? And so, you know, we have a good thing in our industry. Why screw it up? Right. And so I've always been, you know, against the ARB piece. It's not that easy to ARB. I don't think the Google side. I think it's just the ads are expensive. And so it's tougher. I think they're smart about taking a big piece of whatever they do. And so the way the ARB works in our industry is there's 20 cents here, 25 cents here, 30 cents here. And there's people who can kind of scrape a little bit off Mm -hmm. the top and it works. 
I think with Google, it's harder to do that. Any more Google, Joel? Because I'm going to step to StepStone next. Go to StepStone. Okay. So last show, we also talked about Europe and about StepStone. Were you surprised that StepStone bought AppCast? And if so, are you surprised what they've done with AppCast thus far? Yeah, you know, StepStone was very, you know, kind of open that they were looking for a U.S. opportunity. And they were looking all around, kicking a bunch of tires and everything, looking for a U.S. opportunity. And, you know, I don't, I don't know the numbers or anything, but I think I would imagine that AppCast was a big, has been a big win for them. Again, I mean, like I said, I don't know the numbers, but I mean, AppCast numbers have to be down because Amazon was advertising just like crazy for a year, a couple of years. And that was, you know, that most of that was on the AppCast platform. And they've pulled back really significantly on that. But I think it's a great business. I think, you know, the StepStone guys are smart. The whole bunch of their businesses are our clients all over the world, customers all over the world. Um, Sayon Group, Total Jobs, um, Peanut in South Africa. I mean, all these are StepStone businesses. So they've got businesses kind of all over. Did they leave money on the table though? A lot of people think they sold for a little little too cheaply. Appcast? Yep. 72 million, I think was the number. I think Appcast knew what was going to happen with <laughs> you know, COVID and advertising and everything like that. Sure. But, you know, hindsight, $72 million for, you know, a, a relatively small business is a, is a good number. It'll buy a lot of beer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it's I, interesting. I think, the, I think those guys did okay. We don't have to worry about them. I think it's interesting. Stepstone has retracted out of France, right? I mean, we started to see some, some chinks in the armor, total jobs. They're going through some changes. I think they're preparing for IPO. So, I mean, there, there's some, there's some big changes I think happening at StepStone. Do you think we will see AppCast start to finally gain some traction from a usage standpoint in Europe? Because the U.S. is one thing. Europe is an entirely different ballgame. I don't think I have a good perspective on that. You know, it's you're okay. right. It is. It's completely different. I mean, the U.K. is kind of a solid, really established market. And then the rest of Europe is just a little bit piecemeal. But yeah, you know, Appcast has not taken hold in Europe, you know, as strongly. But I know they're working on it. I, I know they're working on it. They're, they're definitely focused on it. And I think their business model makes sense. It's kind of hard for them, though, because their business model on how they actually, they, they, they won, let's just say, programmatic early was to be the rails for agencies for programmatic and performance driven advertising. So they powered all of the agencies and then they were bought by Stepstone. So at this point, it's it's kind of like, you know, will they or won't they? You've got the Recruitix, who was obviously they bought KRT. You've got Pando that's out there. You have now all these competitors who could prospectively, uh, you know, take take advantage of you know some of the some of the stepstone IPO focus more focused on that than the actual market itself. Yeah, I mean, AppCast is super focused on direct customers. You know, right? They started with the agencies, but then you know, moving over and and like you said before, getting the top customers. You know, starting there first and taking that agency piece out of the equation. I think they're going to be successful. So that didn't work for Monster and it didn't work for CareerBuilder. It, it hamstrung them. What makes you think it's going to work for AppCast to be able to go direct to client instead of through the agencies? Well, yeah, I, I guess, I, guess I, I don't have the full answer. I'm a big fan of AppCast. I think these guys are oh, yeah. smart. I think that um, they're trying to make sure that the, the visitor experience is high quality. They try and they're, they're trying to work on things that some of the other guys don't care so much about. And I think that over time, they're going to build share. Last show, we also, also talked about ZipRecruiter and you were very bullish on them. 
You said that uh, pretty much their brute force ability is, is, is driving their success, but that brute force seems to have gone limp over the last couple of years. What, what's, what the hell's happening at ZipRecruiter? You know, they, they were super focused or they are super focused and have been super focused on SMB, right? So the, the middle piece of the market. So they, they had their layoffs, indeed had their layoffs. You know, once you're a public company, I mean, the game changes. And so, you know, I'm thankful. I mean, I, I would assume you guys are thankful. You don't have to report quarterly. I mean, I'm thankful that I don't have to report quarterly and always be up over last year. My, my wife so, wants weekly reports, by the way, which can be more brutal than, uh, than public markets. But that's a different show. Yeah. So I think, when, you know, once you go public and you have quarterly reporting responsibilities, the game changes and you just really have to uh, dial it down. But we work super closely with those guys. You know, I'm I'm still bullish on ZipRecruiter. They're smart guys. They, you know, their adver- I think their advertising is pretty cool. Do you own shares? Do you own the stock? I don't. Okay, I'm not that <laughs> bullish. I just feel like I'm long enough into some of our customers that I don't really need to own their shares. (laughs) I've got a bigger stake than than some shareholders do. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, they have a a direct pipe into, you know, Google and some places like this. I mean, they're working on some really cool things and I think they care about the visitor experience. I I know they care about the visitor experience. I know for sure they do because we're, uh, we've got a product called jobs control that we follow clicks through to see where they land. And, um, they're a customer on that product. So they care. They want to know, they distribute their jobs. They want to know what the situation is for the, for the visitors. And that's rare. Okay. Listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating? manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions. And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman. I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it. Yeah. Simplicity. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> seriously, though, seriously, text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text kernel uh-huh. brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. Text kernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey. Kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener. Get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> Are you struggling to attract the talent you need today? Do you lack visibility into where your recruitment ad dollars are really going? 
there's a better way. Acquire ROI is a programmatic job advertising platform built to optimize your budget and supercharge hiring. Acquire ROI automatically manages and measures recruitment ads across job boards so you can allocate your budget based on insights, not hunches. Get to quality candidates faster and cost-effectively scale hiring across roles, all while gaining complete visibility and control over your recruitment marketing investments. Say goodbye to manual guesswork, inconsistent performance, and wasted spending. And hello to optimized automated campaigns that produce qualified applicants. At Acquire ROI, we make job advertising easy. Visit us at acquireroi.com and start transforming your talent acquisition today. So talking about scraping, talking about labor market information and getting the pulse on, on what the hell is happening right now, you guys scrape, you, you've been scraping data forever. How long have you been warehousing that? How long have you been being able to analyze that? What's the whole backstory? story and how how much data warehousing do you have? So we started collecting data for our customers and configuring it for them. So if we scrape for Dice, they want the data delivered this way. If we scrape for ZipRecruiter, they want it delivered this way. So we weren't very smart about it in the beginning. We just kind of collected it, configured it, and sent it on. And then we realized we've got this huge pool of data because not only are we scraping you know, Amazon and Walmart, but c- customers kind of come and go. Like this month, for instance, we added, I just looked at the report, we get a daily report. We added about 430 new scrapes and about 330 scrapes were canceled. So just customer flow. That's, that's yeah. pretty normal, right? Yeah. And so um, there's very few months that are down. There were a few down months recently, which you know I think is not a big surprise with the industry. But um, so there's always scrapes being added and scrapes being uh, subtracted. And so what we decided to do was take all these scrapes that were being canceled and continue scraping them and collecting the data. Now we've got this data, but we had eight fields for Dice and 10 fields we were collecting for ZipRecruiter and everything. And we looked at the data and we're like, God, this is a mess. So it (laughs) took about two years to really figure out how we could aggregate it. Because you think of all these job postings are the same, but they're really not. They're looking at things differently. There's a couple extra fields. Somebody's adding an industry classification. Someone's adding this, you know, whatever. And so it took us a couple of years. We launched this big jobs data quality project, both for our customers and to aggregate and normalize the data. So that took a couple of years. And last year, in about the middle of 2022, we felt like we were at the point where, okay, we've got this data normalized and we can make some sense of it. And so that's where it all started. So we and we have some historical data going back further than that, but um, not too much further than the middle of last year. So now we're starting to build it and we have a big, everything we do is AWS, Amazon Web Services, you know, a big advocate of, of those guys. And Amazon's a customer too. And um, they have a job board called AWS Educate. So we work closely with those guys. Such a name dropper. Yeah, right. You got to throw out, you got to throw <laughs> Smart out man. Google, Amazon. We have some good customers. Amazon, ZipRecruiter. I know all the, <laughs> all the famous people. Let's, let's yeah. bring us back into uh, 2023. Uh, the Pulse. You talked about it, a lot of data, a lot of things you guys are finding out. Give us a 30,000 foot view of the current state of employment and workforce issues. State of the union of jobs. Yeah, so, so, we have, so we have Job Market Pulse. We're putting out kind of quarterly reports and some other things like that. One thing that, that we look at that's really interesting is we have all of the S&P 500 companies in our database. So it's easy to see, hey, what's going on with S&P 500 companies? Is that representative of the, of the US or not? You know, kind of think it is because it includes the, the Walmarts of the world and some of the 
big hiring companies, and then it includes Exxon and some of the you know Microsoft and companies like that. So back in November, they had about a million job postings out there available. And remember, all of our data comes directly from the company sites, not from job boards where maybe they're duplicating things or they're doing whatever. This is directly from the company site. Is that global or U.S., just so I know? So that's U.S. The number I'm giving you is U.S., about a million jobs U.S. in November. And now that that total has dropped below 800,000 jobs. So that's a pretty big reduction in job counts. Uh, more than 20% since November. And now we're sitting here at the end of March. So what the so, Fed hopes to happen is happening, ultimately. They yeah, want you know, fewer. Yeah. And so, you know, I've been in this game for a long time since, you know, the 90s. So my perspective really is that when employment was really ridiculously low, kitchens and every everybody was short staff. Okay, so everyone knows that restaurants open four days a week, all that kind of stuff. Over the last six months, that has started to fill in. And I think that's why we're seeing very low numbers on new claims for unemployment, even though we're hearing about all these kind of layoffs. So all those positions started to kind of fill in and we're getting to the point where I think they're full. You know, you hear about hiring is still challenging, but but people have filled positions. And now we've got all these IT and these kind of more senior level positions that were announced. And that just takes six months or so to work their way through. You know, people get a couple months of pay. You know, the big companies have to give 60 days, I think. And then they pay a couple months after that. So we're still in that cycle that a lot of those people are still kind of in between kind of working or not working, whatever. And I think it's going to be a soft landing. I really do. I think it's going to be a soft landing and we'll end up somewhere around four or four and a half percent unemployment, which is I think, good for the country, and it's certainly good for our industry. And something that's good for my life is that Taco Bell is the number one employer uh, in the (laughs) Pulse. So that means a lot of people are still going to Taco Bell, which is good for me. I wanted to point that out. How much of it is, all right, you mentioned chat GPT. All these tech people are being unemployed, but we're seeing you know hundreds of new apps being built around chat GPT. Companies hiring AI folks, obviously, it's going to be a a huge thing with all the big guys, Google, Facebook, Amazon, they're all going to get in this game. How much impact are you seeing job postings for ChatGPT, job postings for AI? Like, What are you seeing in the pulse in terms of AI? AI is, you you guys have been at the conferences, people have been talking about AI in our space for the last, I don't know, five or 10 years. You know, you don't don't see that much kind of coming into play, but Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, you know, what's some things that are are really happening. You know, one is ChatGPT, the data is old, right? Mm -hmm. September, 2021. And that'll come, that'll come quicker and quicker and quicker. Will it get to real time, what we call real time, you know, one or two days old? I'm not sure how long it's going to take to get there. That's a lot of data and processing that. So I think for our industry, I'm not sure that it's going to be a huge, huge deal. Here's something that's super cool, though. So you ready for me to drop a few names here? Oh, let's do it. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. So my daughter's an AI PhD student at Stanford. Okay. So serious stuff, right? She's here with me this week and she was coding and she has an extension on her computer that Stanford has access to from ChatGPT. She starts coding and it tries to finish her line of code for her because it knows what she's doing. Seriously, I watched it. And after she does it, she'll run it through and it'll say, hey, here's a better way to do this. 
and I use this example with her. I'm like, it's, is it like Google Translate that if you don't really know what you're saying, you're not really sure what's coming back? And she's like, <laughs> exactly. But if you know what you're doing, it's yeah. telling you a better way to do something. So she's actually making a presentation to our team tomorrow about how they can use ChatGPT to be quicker with their coding and more efficient with their coding. So that's some cool stuff. Shall we play a game? That's being used now. That's not like next year, next month. Elon Musk so, says. So bring that into our space. Wait, wait, don't that, you that's, think? That's on demand QAQC. That's what's happening right yeah. now, right? Yeah. But that could literally be taken over after it's been trained enough. Yeah. I mean, her argument is at this point, you still need someone who's smart enough to to, to see what's happening. Is it doing what you want, what you really wanted it to do, Uh or just what it thinks you want it to do? So that's cool. And so it's already being used. And this is just literally a Chrome extension. Yeah. Yeah. So bring this into our space, Mike. I mean, job postings. Why couldn't same thing? I'm starting to write a job posting and it starts writing it for me. I mean, what what vendors, what businesses in our space are going to be disrupted by what your daughter's saying on the on the ground? It'll certainly make it easier to, you know, write a job posting and you can, you know, things that are important like Hey, could you check this job posting for diversity inclusion? They'll say, hey, here's a better way to say this, or here's this. The thing that I think is super interesting is it's easy to generate content. So Google is, you know, in the search engines and everyone are the really big on original content. So what is original content going to be like starting to, a month ago? Well, there'll, there'll be new tools and there already are that make it sound more organic. Like they'll take the AI wrote this and they'll rewrite it and AI can't. It'll be like this game of whack-a-mole. There's already tools that can say, did AI write this? Yeah. And there are tools that will rewrite the AI so that AI can't say that AI wrote it. Yeah, exactly. So so question, are are companies like Textio in mortal danger? Yes. I mean, what's why why do I need to spend the kind of money that Textio wants me to spend? When I can just, you know, hook up a, a Chrome extension and, and have a nice day. I mean, is is it pretty much their day in the sun is over or they just need to sell as soon as humanly possible? They're going to be under pressure, but, you know, good companies adapt to new technology. So if they can help people use AI to do a better job writing and not, instead of having a thousand customers have 10,000 and charge them half as much, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's what I would be thinking about if I were them. Michael's so diplomatic. He is. He's, he's bright and shiny too. It's like, I'm, I'm happy just talking to him. I don't get, I don't get this just having a regular conversation with Joel, Mike. Thanks, man. I mean, what about you guys? ChatGBT is going to create a podcast. Hey, this is our show, you know, Mike. This is our show. <laughs> <laughs> what, what if they create a podcast that were actually funny? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> damn. That's a very good question. We already have our voices cloned by Veritone, so being able to actually generate the content and then, yeah. You literally I mean, could do our show without us at this point in multi-languages, yes. which is which is crazy. Five different languages at this point. So at the end of the day, when we're talking about the actual job pulse, What's the biggest insight that that you saw out of this information over the over the past, let's say, uh, three months? You know, the biggest insights that we see and the, the thing that we're getting the most customer attention from is from the wage benchmarking. And we say wage benchmark, it's who's hiring and what are they offering? Because the recruiters don't really have control over the pricing, you know, the wages. But they do have input into, hey, we're not filling these positions. And one of the reasons is because Taco Bell is paying two bucks more in our market than, than we are at Walmart or wherever. 
so yeah, I think that that's that's the most interesting, and it's still that's something that's still evolving. Or twenty percent uh, states are starting to put the regulations in, and you know, you guys, at least I say I know this. Candidates want to see it; they want to see what the, what it is. Yes, and I think recruiters really want yeah. candidates who really want the job to apply. So um, even though companies don't necessarily want to post it, the chambers of commerce and everyone are kind of fighting that in in each state. But it's coming. And I think that's that's the most interesting data I think that's out there. Mike, I want to get your take on remote. When we the, the world has changed since we last spoke and remote jobs have obviously been a big topic on our show. Talk about, you know, are the big metros dying? Are job postings, you know, moving elsewhere around the country? Are multiple postings for the same job being posted in different areas? And is that skewing the actual number of open jobs? How many jobs do you see out there that actually are remote and really promote the fact that they are remote? Talk about that. Yeah, so we track the remote job postings and very few jobs actually put remote in the job title, less than 5%. And part of that's because you kind of need to have a location for a job. It's just the way that this old school systems are set up. You have to put a, a city in or something. So that's part of that. That's why they pop the remote up in the job title. But, you know, Apple and the, the financial services, companies want people back in the office. So my son works for a company called Data Miner, and they collect breaking news from social media. It's a big company in New York, it's like a thousand people or whatever, but they have a whole bunch of people who are fully remote forever. So I really think it's going to be company by company. But I think Google's got people in the office, what, three days a week. They're having a little more trouble in the US than they're having in other locations, like in France. They're in the office three days a week. You know, that's just everybody's in the office. And so I think people are going to come back into the office. I, I do. I think they are. I don't think it's going to be five days a week, but I do think people will want to come back into the office and companies, we haven't talked about the Ukraine thing at all, but, uh, but you know, when people aren't in the same place, it's a little harder to collaborate and we're constantly building new products and everything and good companies are doing that. Being together makes it easier and just kind of, you know, you hear about these companies who are saying, oh yeah, we're going to meet once a quarter in wherever, and we're going to bring everybody in from all over and do that. I don't know. That that's pretty expensive and that just seems like it's not really practical to do that over the long run. I think people are going to come back in the office on some kind of a 3-day a week basis and that's going to become the new normal over time. That that's just my my perspective. So real quick talk about Ukraine because you did have and probably still currently have uh workers that are in Ukraine. I mean, how did that how did that disrupt business. It, it had to have because it disrupted their lives. How did that disrupt? And, and how did you at that point start to work toward a solution for, for them? We have an amazing team and we kind of call it family. So there's 60 people in our company. Right before the war started, we moved a handful of people out to Portugal and Poland because I was worried about power and internet. That's what I was worried about. And that's what we, most of us were worried about. And then obviously this happened. So we have 45 people still in Ukraine and the people are amazing. Wow. You know, we have not lost a single customer over the war. So nobody was disrupted. Our people, people needed something to do other than kind of worry about the war. So our people decided mm -hmm. to work. And so that was awesome for our customers and um, for the company. The people are fatigued now. The people who are still there are really kind of tired, really, you know, kind of tired of this. And I can imagine it. One, yeah, one of my of guys is having his first baby. His wife's having her first baby in a few days, lives by an anti-missile battery. 
So that thing's firing at night, Jeez. you know, more, it's just something you just don't think about. So our, the people are amazing. Customers have not been disrupted because of, there we go with AWS. Um, oh, another, here's another plug I'll put. Starlink is freaking awesome. <laughs> Absolutely awesome. I'm not a huge Elon Musk <laughs> and guy. And I've got Elon man, on speed dial right now. That stuff. Elon's man, coming out to Aspen next week. <laughs> that stuff works. And, um, you know, we've got a handful of those things that we put in place after the war started. So we got equipment. Some of it was delivered to Ukraine. Some was Portugal. We moved over to Ukraine and that stuff works great. So, um, you know, resilient people. And I think we did a pretty good job. As soon as the war started, we told everyone, move wherever you want, take who with, take with you whoever you need and we'll pay for it until further notice. So thanks to our customers for, you know, supporting all that. But uh, that took the pressure off, I think. People felt like if I'm staying, I'm here because I want to be, not because I have to stay and I can't figure out what to do. So yeah, so it's been tough, but the people are great. And, um, you know, we built a good company and I think, you know, hopefully we reward the people so that they feel like it's a quid pro quo. That's Michael Woodrow, everybody, president at Aspen Tech Labs. Michael, for our listeners that want to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Just Mike at AspenTechLabs.com or as uh, as Chad knows, even better, Lana at AspenTechLabs.com. Lana! Yeah, big shout out to Lana. And with that, I'm headed to Taco Bell. Chad, another one is in the can. Thank God I didn't throw my Dockers away from the 90s because I'm going back to the office. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? The podcast. The Chad. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. So many cheeses and not one word. So weird. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! We'd never admit it, but deep down, we all get at least some pleasure from bad things happening to somebody we don't like. History's full of stories about bitter enemies being mutually horrible. Usually nothing good comes of it. But sometimes... Sometimes you get soul singers James Brown and Joe Tex, or 17th century nun Sor Juana, and the entire Catholic Church duking it out and dramatically changing our world. On Beef with Bridget Todd, we tell the stories of those petty feuds behind some of the greatest art, innovation, and global events. Listen to Beef wherever you get your podcasts.